All right, welcome to another episode of Straight Talk. We're in Istanbul office of Property Turkey with Cameron Degen. And today we'll be answering the questions of some of our audience. All right, Cameron, so actually one of our audience, one of our clients from South Africa, his name is Dr. Mola. So he, you know Dr. Mola? Okay. He asked us some questions following our capital appreciation in Istanbul video. Was that the last video we did? That was, no, that wasn't the last one. That was before the last one. Y you can check that video on the link description below, by the way. Okay, so he's basically asking, how come there is so much surplus of um, housing in outskirts of Istanbul? So in the last video, we kind of touched on that there is a higher uh, supply than demand in the outskirts of Istanbul. What we had actually said is if you're trying to maximize capital growth yeah. in Istanbul, the general rule of thumb is stick to central Istanbul, yeah. where demand actually outstrips supply. We drew a correlation to the outskirts of Istanbul, and we said that on the outskirts of Istanbul, the general trend is surplus outstrips yeah. demand, so we do not project steep capital growth on the outskirts. Central Istanbul prices are clearly higher than suburban Istanbul, the yeah. prices on the outskirts of Istanbul. Not a lot of people can afford to purchase in central Istanbul, yeah. so how comes there is surplus stock on yeah. the outskirts? That's his question, I think. That is, that is his question, okay. and All what right. is our answer All to right. that? Thanks a lot, Dr. Muller. Your observation is more than valid in the sense that prices on the outskirts of Istanbul noticeably lower than prices in central Istanbul, or let's say most parts of central Istanbul. Yeah. You might then very naturally come to arrive at a conclusion that therefore there shouldn't be so much surplus stock on the outskirts if there is a lot more affordability and clearly there are a lot of Turkish buyers looking to purchase property, get onto the property market and they can afford outskirts, properties on the outskirts much easily. That sounds correct. Yeah. However, the demand for central Istanbul is so much higher than the demand for outskirts of Istanbul from the young populations of Istanbul. Yeah. These are the property buyers, in fact, home buyers. Yeah. That segment is pure home buyer segment. The demand from home buyer segment is mainly from younger generations, people between the ages of 27, 28, all the way up to 40. Yeah. So these are either single people or newly married or new families. Yeah. So these people, they would much rather purchase their homes in central zones of Istanbul where they work yeah. and where they commute daily. And also for prestige reasons and uh, for the authenticity of central Istanbul, that much rather live in central Istanbul. Yeah. So what they do is they compromise size. Yeah. So instead of going on to the outskirts of Istanbul and purchasing three or four bedroom larger properties with, with much more yeah. space, when you look at the price comparison, um, a one bedroom or a, or, or a smaller two bedroom apartment in central Istanbul unless you're in prime prime central zones where prices no matter what you buy even if you buy 50 square meters prices are rather expensive yeah. unless you go for those proper bosphorus front prime central yeah. you can still be in central istanbul in very desirable central zones and not have to pay an arm and a leg 
for a one-bedroom or a small two-bedroom apartment. So they would then be coming fractionally higher, possibly, yeah. than buying a three- or four-bedroom larger home on the outskirts. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons that properties on the outskirts are not necessarily grabbed by Turkish buyers, mm -hmm. um, and they're still choosing central locations. And another reason is sheer um, oversupply. Over the past 10 years, in particular, um, places like Beylikdüzü, yeah. Başakşehir now is developing that way. So what happens Bahçeşehir, to... So much was built, yeah, so much. So what happens to that supply, that oversupply, that surplus? Well, what happens to that surplus? That definitely affects the prices, I guess. It affects the prices. Hence, if I, if I look at property uh, prices over the last five, six years yeah. on the outskirts of Istanbul, and if you really and truly track them, properly in terms of what happened to the price price tags. Okay. Not in Turkish lira, go for hard currency, always measuring hard currency yeah. like dollars, euros, whatever. You'll notice that over the past five years, um, overall, there hasn't really been a notable increase, increase in, in the, the outskirts prices. of Istanbul. Yeah. In some isolated areas, like in some parts of Bahçeşehir, yeah. um, and even in some parts of coastal parts of the more Beylikdüzü, elegant, let's yeah. say, parts of Beylikdüzü, prices have gone up, even in dollar terms. But generally, when you look at the market for the outskirts of Istanbul, yeah. um, prices have not really gone up that much. So can we then say the outskirts of Istanbul are basically medium to long-term investments? Definitely long-term. Definitely long-term. Definitely long-term. Long yeah. Not okay. even medium, long-term. Okay, great. So, all right. Um, in the same video, we talked about landlord-owned units. Yes, and I think Dr. Yeah. Muller made a reference yeah, yeah. to that Yeah, also. Dr. Muller also yeah. is asking that. Indeed, these landlord-owned units are basically the landlord of the project yeah. is being given 40%, um, 50% of the units that are built uh, within uh, the project. So naturally, almost half the number of flats and residences belongs to landlord. and. You said what happens then is basically after some time when the landlord decides to sell those units, it kind of um, affects the prices of the other units, the, the units that are held by the developer itself. So it generally drives down the prices altogether. He's asking, does all properties, does all projects have landlord-owned units? And can, can we say this for every project? Can every project be suspect to this uh, kind of a speculation? He, he actually named two projects there, yeah. which for kind of confidentiality reasons or for yeah. non-commercial nature of mm -hmm. our um, straight talk, we don't want to name. No. Uh, but he named two fair, fairly large-sized projects, one in Başakşehir, here, <laughs> and I think the other one is in Beylikdüzü Esenyut yeah. area. As a short answer, uh, no, the answer is no. Not all projects have joint venture combinations. Yeah. Uh, to refer back to the landlord-owned units, just to recap yeah. um, for our audience, what we're talking about here is joint ventures, whereby a developer comes on board and he teams up with a landowner. Yeah. Not a la we call it the landlord, but in fact, landowner. Okay. So you're the landowner, you've got, let's say, 20 hectares of land, and I'm the developer, and I join forces with you in a joint venture formation, instead of buying the land from you, I will basically do a deal with you. So 50% of the produce is yours, 50% is mine, or depending on the deal, it could be 40, 60. 
whatever. Um, or it could be a, a mixed kind of consideration whereby I would compensate you partially in terms of money yeah. and partially in terms of units. So no, no matter what the composition is, you're the land, landowner, I'm the developer. Yeah. So that as a landowner, you will end up with some units out of that construction. Yeah. So Mr. Muller is asking, are all projects done the same way? No, of course not. Not all projects done the same way. In fact, there are some developers in Istanbul that outright do not go into joint ventures. But um, that's the minority. Yeah. The majority of developers do go into some sort of joint venture yeah. structures. Yes. Yeah. And when they do, what we had said in our capital appreciation episode yeah. is look out for the composition of the project. Yeah. That's what, that, that was our tip. We reiterated that. We did. We basically had said if there are too many stakeholders yeah. like landowners owning units, contractors that, that have provided services barter, yeah. um, in terms of barter yeah. formation, if they own units, then be careful investing there. Because generally the pattern is that when you have too many stakeholders owning units, yeah. after completion of the project, <coughs> generally they will kind of put onto the market yeah. these units and they are able to undercut your price. Yeah. Which means that till those units are washed out of the market, yeah. you're not really going to see any strong capital growth on your units. To answer his question, no, not all projects are joint yeah. ventures. And yes, if there is a joint venture formation with the landowners and contractors, be careful because generally that will affect yeah. your price. The buyer there then has to do his homework real good in True. order to identify True. which part, uh, in order to identify the composition of the project, yeah. Absolutely, we generally know the compositions of the project, yeah, we so we will give that advice anyway. Okay, okay, that's good. <laughs> and uh, for the third one, he, he said, does capital gains tax apply on bartering transactions? Okay. What the make of that? All right, all right, very, very interesting question. Uh, a bartering transaction is where I'm a developer. Yeah. Um, I've got a project to develop, and you're a contractor, you do the cement work, you do the, yeah. um, the iron work, the concrete work. Instead okay? of you paying so me instead with of cash. paying you with cash, I'll give you a few units. So I'll yeah. give you some cash and some units. That's, yeah. that's bartering transactions within the composition of a yeah. development. Yeah. Now, what he's asking is, and this is what I understand what he's asking, if a unit that is being purchased is purchased as part of a barter transaction, when you later sell that unit, do you have a capital gains tax liability on the gain that you may have incurred when you sell it? I think that's his question. Dr. Muller, if not, please correct me. Dr. Muller, to be perfectly but, honest, but I, think I am not 100% sure I, if that's think, the question. I think that's the question. Yeah, okay. And if that is the question, the answer is yes. The, in terms of capital gains tax, how you pay the purchase consideration, whether it is cash, whether it is on credit, whether it is on barter, it doesn't make any difference. As far as the law is concerned, capital gain is the gain in value between what you pay, whether it's cash or barter is irrelevant, and what you sell. The gain that arises in between the exit value and the purchase value is your capital gain and tax is payable on that no matter what the formal payment is. Provided, of course, five years 
has, has passed, has not passed. Because after five years, if you purchase as an individual, you're not subject to capital gains tax. So that's a very interesting, lovely law that exists in Turkish tax yeah. law, fi the five-year law. They may change it in the future, but for the time being, um, it's as an individual, after is, yeah. five years, there's no capital gains tax. Okay. We tried to answer all the questions of Dr. Mullah and hope uh, that, that it was the answer of the, all, all the questions. One of the questions we were really uh, not not certain to 100%. We, we weren't too, yeah. too certain as to yeah. what he really meant by barter transactions and capital yeah. gains tax. But I think I think what we answered addresses his, okay. his query. If not, please write in or give yeah. us a call, Dr. Mola. Okay. Hope the answer of the questions. Uh, so we'll see you in the next time. Take care.